day at the organ I was weary and ill at ease And my fingers wandered idly Over the noisy keys I know not what I was playing Hello, welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Uh, so we are currently looking at some of the early works, some of the early novels, that is, of, of Henry James. And uh, we're well in our way, working our way through his uh, second novel. Um, the first novel he really accepted as part of his kind of canonical works, called, the novel's called Roger Hudson. His first novel, Watch and Ward, which we looked at in some previous episodes, was not uh, well received and and rather disowned by by James later in his life um, so and I had my problems with that novel here um, and now we're getting into uh, a much better novel I think it's you know I, I think there's things in this novel I, I kind of wish were there a little bit more like I wish there was a little bit more about art actually it's it's a novel about an artist but you never really see him much at work his work is always sort of in the backdrop it's really um, what we're kind of in here in this novel is a, a talented young American who goes to Rome to become a great and kind of falls a bit off the wagon, I think. And this is kind of a, a tale, a story we we hear all the time, actually, you know, about, you know, biopics or, you know, I was just watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. You know, you have this, a great figure, someone really talented who kind of is challenged to kind of up their game in a new context and a new environment and then they have their ups and downs and their their struggles and in, I guess in modern films and in shows it's like substance abuse is kind of the go-to thing or or some some something else that alienates them from society at large uh in Roger Hudson it's it's all about this girl right so it's really this kind of love uh square it's not even a love triangle it's a love square so we have these four characters. We got Roland, this rich young man who's a bit aimless, wants to do something important with his life, finds Roger Hudson, this artist, uh, decides to make him his project, brings him to Rome uh, to train him, uh, or, lead, or not to train him himself, but to see him trained as an as a artist, basically to fund him. He's, he's the cash man. He's going to pay his way in Rome. And then we have these two women. The first is, so it starts out kind of as a love triangle because Roland is deeply in love with with uh, Mary Hudson, who's Roderick's actually distant cousin. And, but Roderick engages to marry her before he leaves. Right, so you got this little love triangle. But they they go off to to Rome, and pretty soon he meets Christina and uh, Chris, um, Christina Light, who's super hot. She's also of American blood. Her mother is is. Uh, kind of a Dylan Todd type, like living it, living it up in, in Europe, but is hoping for her daughter to marry up in society, to marry into kind of the elite status of, of, of in Europe. Um, but Roderick falls head over heels for her. And then from that point on in the novel, it seems that's his crutch. Like when his relationship with Christine is going well, he seems somewhat creative, or at least he's optimistic. And when he's not, when he... F- thinks their relationship is doomed he descends into kind of you know 
depression and uh, periods of non-creativity. And on the whole second half of the novel, that's what really takes over. He just sort of becomes a, a bum in Europe, right? So I talked a little bit in the last episode how, you know, this, this trope of Americans going to Europe to kind of improve their skill or somehow this idea that Americans need to go to Europe. And I was kind of bothered by that. But by the end of the novel, you find it's like, actually, Europe's a problem. <laughs> it seems uh, he would have been better off staying in America, maybe, being a, an American artist. Everything kind of goes wrong for, for Roderick. And then ultimately, he's dead. And that's how the novel ends. Um, but what I'd like to really would have liked to see is a little bit less of this melodrama about um, this relationship and his pining over Christina and his love for her and his how he kind of falls out of love with Mary Hudson and abandons her. She, you know, she starts to the first half of the novel. She's a background character. She's just the woman who stayed in America. But when she comes to Rome with her, with uh, Roderick's mother and they start living there, then she becomes like this problem that he has to deal with because he's falling out of love with her. And, you know, he has got, and he doesn't really tell her he's, he's kind of a bit scummy about this because he doesn't actually want to be honest. That's actually exactly where we left off in the novel where uh, Roland really found he's pining over this Christina. And he tells her, he tells Christina that, that he's engaged to this woman uh, in, in America. That was, the end of, that was at the end, I think, of Chapter 5. So, anyways, I have mixed feelings about this novel overall. I think it's, it's, a lot of, it's, it's got a lot of great moments. It's, it's, I think it's worth checking out. It drags on a little bit too much, and, and we spend maybe... I think really the issue here is Henry James was real interested in this Roland uh, Roderick relationship, even much more so than the romances, because they're always there's not, they're, they never really go anywhere, right? The Mary Hudson relationships don't go anywhere. Uh, the Christina relationships don't go anywhere. She's presented often as a coquette, um, which I'm not sure is entirely fair to her. I mean, she's she and her mother are pretty straight up about what what they want for Christina and what Christina's kind of role in life is going to be is that she's not going to downgrade herself to marry a struggling artist who's living like a bohemian in, in, in Rome and, and kind of wandering around Europe when the spirit moves him and can't get his work, work done. You know, it's not the kind of person she's likely to marry. And even if it was a successful artist, you don't get that sense that that's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone established in society. So these relationships never go there. The only relationship that's really enduring and kind of tragic at the end is the one between Roland and Roderick. And so these other forces, his work, his, you know, his work as a sculptor, these women, they just seem to interfere with and complicate that, that relationship, which also, over the course of the novel, declines. But they're like tied together. They can't escape each other. And so even till the final chapter, they're, they're kind of inextricably bound together and, and can't escape each other. So I don't. I want to go so far as to say there's like a homoerotic element to the novel. Roderick is, it's clearly on that one side of the Kinsey scale. But there's, it, it's it's a it's a bromance. It's a it's a troubled bromance throughout much of the novel, I guess. So, anyways, what's going on in the center part of the novel? I think it's it's actually kind of forgettable. I, I think, like I, I read through this and I listened to the audiobook, and a lot of it just sort of drags on. I really do think this novel suffers from being a little bit too repetitive and a little bit too long and meandering a little bit. I think it could have been a tighter story, but then I think maybe the people who read this just 
you know, are enjoying the experience of these conversations and this melodrama. It's actually kind of interesting because watching Ward was criticized for being too melodramatic. And that's, that was kind of the reason Henry James gave for kind of disowning it, even though there's much more fundamental problems in that novel than the melodrama. But I mean, here, you got a lot of it here too. It's these, these, um, these characters do kind of spend quite a lot of time dealing with their feelings. And there's all these tragic, you know, feelings scattered throughout the novel. But anyways, let's let's talk a little bit briefly about these middle chapters of the story. I think four. Four will do it for this episode. Uh, so we left off with really what happened. I guess the biggest change that happens here is the arrival of of Mary and, and Roderick's mother to to Rome and... And that's what there. We also meet a lot more of the Cavalieri. The Cavalieri, that's how he's usually talked about. His his real name is um let's get that right. Uh he's a oh, I had it written down somewhere. Giacoso, yeah, Cavalieri Giuseppe Giacosa. Usually he's just called the Cavalieri. Um now it's a revelation later in the novel, but he turns out to be uh uh Christina's father, right? But and that's kind of why he's hanging out with him all the time. He's just an ex-lover of Mrs. Light and, and Christina's father. And it's revealed later on. And I think that also helps explain Mrs. Light's desire to see her marry up, to kind of marry into the class that she feels she's sort of in now because of this relationship with the Cavalieri. I guess that makes sense. I mean, that, 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 actually, that, those characters, I think, interest me a little bit more than Roland and Roderick. And, um, in a way, and, and that whole story. But I don't know if it would have made a better novel. All right, what are some of the things that happen? Well, chapter six is called Frescali, and this kind of picks up exactly where the previous chapter left off with Roland's revelation to Christina that he's engaged. Um, Roderick is pretty pissed off about this, which I don't think he has any right to do. I mean, he was, you know, macking on her without telling her about his own status. Um, He's kind of a weird private guy in a way. I, I think, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I think he's not likable enough in a way. And one reason he's not likable is he engages this woman, leaves for Rome, and like never thinks about her again, essentially. And when she shows up, I mean, he does his du- duty. He does, does his duty towards her as far as that goes. But, you know, it's, he's like done with her, it seems, almost as soon as he comes to Rome. Anyways, uh, but the, I mean, Christina's the conflict point between Roderick and Roland. Christina, there in his work. These are the two things that keep coming back as the deeper conflict between these two characters. Um, and Roderick is is already facing a lack of inspiration, and that that's kind of a recurring theme too. Is he just can't like whatever Rome was supposed to inspire in him, it doesn't. It, it's and it doesn't work that way. I think there's some truth to that. I think he. You can't just move somewhere to get the inspiration. I've moved a lot, a lot, and sometimes I actually think, like, oh, a new apartment or a new place. Well, you know, I'll finally get to write, or I'll be creative, or I'll do something meaningful. And it doesn't always work, right? It's it, it leads to this kind of wanderlust, but not really what you have to do. You have to what you really have to do is just be like Stephen King, right? Get up every day, put on you know, put on your slippers, drink some coffee, and and write. To, you know, right till noon and 
and then read and, and learn as much as you can so you can write again the next day. That's really what it takes. Or, you know, anyone who writes big fat novels, Neil Stevenson or these types, it's, that's, it's, it's just, it's just a work. And, you know, and Roddick's not the type who really wants to do that aspect of it. He's, he's waiting around for like the muses to hit him and that's not how it works. Um, in fact, the discussion of the muse kind of fades away in the novel. In the beginning, there's a lot of talk about the muse. When he's kind of productive and creative and getting a little bit of fame and money for himself, there's this talk about, you know, the muse hitting him. But, you know, it's gone by the middle part of the novel, and we just kind of descend into this drama, family drama stuff and this this unrequited love story. Um, so... You know, Christina Light, she's the cause of his lack of inspiration, that's for sure. Um, so, uh, there's a scene, though, like, it gets worse in this chapter because they go to, a, like, a, a park. They go on, like, a picnic. It's like Roland and Roderick and Christina's there, and this prince comes. Pris Cassiolomone, I think his name was. And if you, if you kind of, if you, if you cheat and you look at the later chapters, there's a chapter later on called The Princess... Cassiamina. So you know that they're going to marry, right? It's like if you if you cheat, cheat and look to the end of the book, you know they're going to marry by the end. It's pretty obvious that's where it's going anyways. She's, he's just a better match for her based on the goals of Mrs. Light and, and the goals of Christina, which aren't that, they're not hidden, right? She Maybe she is being a bit coquettish. I don't know. That's kind of a 19th century judgment, right? Um, but... I don't see much of it. I don't think there's too much she does here that's to blame. But, you know, she does spend time with him. And he reads everything earnestly. And he perhaps shouldn't. Um, so, yeah, it's... So I think it's maybe established in this chapter, maybe another one, that... Christina is basically sent up to marry this guy. It doesn't help that he's like kind of ugly and, and weird. He's kind of got like this inbred aristocratic look. But he's got money. Um, anyways. Uh, this, this chapter also gives us our first serious look at the Cavalieri, uh, Giacoso. And, and he's the one who kind of warns Roderick. He, he doesn't, I think he's not, he's a bad, he's, a, or no, he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. And he kind of sees what's up. He sort of tells Roderick, you know, hey, he's really rich. You know, it's kind of his way of saying to Roderick, you know, cool your jets. It's not going to happen, you know, whatever. But, you know, Roderick doesn't listen to anyone. He's, and then at the end, he's he spends most of the novel not listening to anyone. And at the end of the novel, he's like essentially catatonic where he's just like, tell me what to do. We'll get to that in the next episode. Um. Uh, and Mrs. Light tells says the same stuff to these guys uh, in this chapter, basically saying what her dream for Christina is. Now Roderick leaves with an idea for a sculpture, and a sculpture, and it, I don't think we ever get what that idea really is. But it's not enough to have an idea, you know. Anyone has an idea for a book. Everyone has an idea for a book or a TV series, or a, so you got to actually write something, right? You actually have to be productive. Anyways. Chapter 7, St. Cecilia's. Um, so this is a kind of a, a foreshadowing scene uh, where Roland is at the Roland goes to the Coliseum and, and who's there but Roderick and Christina on, on kind of a date, right? So if you want to push the argument Christina's being a little unfair or leading Roderick on a little bit, there's evidence of that. I just don't think she's really doing anything 
that wrong here. She's just finds another American who she's interested in somewhat. You know, she wants to. It's not that there's not some attraction there and some interest. It's just it's, it's she's not going to marry outside of, of of the expectations that's been given to her since she's a kid. Um. So um. So she kind of uh scolds him a little bit, and this leads him to him showing off. So he, he Roderick has this issue that he wants to show off by getting a flower in some kind of dangerous area. He does it a couple times in the novel. Like he's like, I'm going to climb up that ledge and get that flower for you to kind of show off. He's kind of being a silly boy here. Um, Roland sees him and talks him down from this. And the fact that he dies at the end of the novel by falling off a cliff, it's like, you know, this is all be kind of being foreshadowed. Roland says, don't do that. It's dangerous. And this is kind of a blow for Roderick and he begins to decline socially as a result. So, I mean, it's not like he had much of a good social life anyways, or really a helpful one, but he, he sort of declined socially as a result of, of that incident, it seems. And his whole, his whole infatuation with, with Christina. Now, Roland, he kind of, see, he's kind of a father figure at times. And this is one of the moments where he kind of steps in and he actually approaches Christina and tries to get her out of Roderick's uh, life in a way. Um, he says, what does he say? I mean, he's kind of polite about it. This is 19th century language here. I can judge, of course, he says, but from appearances, but like you, I'm an observer. Hudson is not at all the heir of a prosperous suitor. And she replies, if he's depressed, there's a reason. He has a bad conscience. One must hope so, at least. On the other hand, simply as a friend, you think I can do him no good? And he replies, there are doubtless many good things you might do if you have the opportunity, but you seem to be sailing with the current which leaves you little leisure for queer benevolence. You live in a whirl and hurry of a world into which a poor artist can hardly find it to his advantage to follow you. So this is his way of trying to convince her to just stay away from Roderick. And it's like not going to be good for either of you. Um, and Christina eventually does send a, like a little note saying, uh, you know, that he, I've done it, begin and respect me. And that's all she says, which hints, yeah, I'm going to take your advice. So, um, the next chapter is called Provocations. And in Provocations, we see the continuation of Roderick's decline and Roland's next effort to try to intercede on Roland's on, on Roderick's behalf is to write his 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 friend his cousin Cecilia. She's the one who originally introduced him to Roderick back in like chapter one, and he says more or less like maybe if Mary and his mother come, it'll help matters out. All right. So he he's basically complaining about Roderick to her. It's either here or a little bit later. He 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 brings up why don't they come? All right and. You know, and it's not a bad idea. It's like if Mary comes, he, they're engaged, they can build up their relationship. He'll stop thinking about Christina. He can work. He can focus on family. All those things, you know, a normal person, how a normal person might respond to those things. But Roderick is Roderick. And so he's, he's, he's kind of done for by this point in the novel. It's just you spend half the novel watching him slowly decline and become a more and more pathetic. Um, now, what gets worse here is here's where they really find out Christina's engaged to the prince and Roderick simply blanches and panics and freaks out about this. Um, he calls it, you know, 
what does he say? I think there's some. He, he's got some great uh, epic rants and moans and whining here. He actually often verges towards misogyny in the way he talks about Christina and others. He's he's a bit like an incel who I mean he's not he he's engaged but he he acts like an incel at times when he's like you know, blaming the women for like why they don't have greater interest in him. There, I can't really find the the passage. But Roland always, you know, warns him, you're standing at the edge of a gulf, he says. If you suffer anything that is past to interrupt your work on that figure, you take your plunge. It's no matter that you don't like it. You will do the wisest thing you ever did if you make that effort of will necessity of finishing it. Destroy the statue then if you like, but make it the effort. I speak the truth. I, th- I think he threatened to destroy the statue he was working on because he heard news about Christina's engagement. Uh, that's, you know, you're just, if you do that, you're destroying the commission. There's a huge investment in the marble, you know, and all that, and in, in the work and the preparation. It's not, it's not a cheap thing. So, um, Roderick's just despairing. Roland flees to Florence, and Florence will be a location people flee to. I, I haven't been to Italy, so I don't know about that. But you know, Florence is nice. A lot of nice early four, 15th century Renaissance stuff in Florence, center of the early Renaissance. But he's. Um, despairing about Mary Garland. He still has feelings for Mary Garland. He's despairing about Roderick. And this really weird scene where he he sort of sees the devil. He kind of has this mystical experience where he sees the devil. And and that's when he comes back. He returns uh, to Rome after having this wild experience. It's actually, it's kind of shocking. And, and I, when I read him, I'm thinking, you know, this is the same guy that wrote Turn of the Screw, right? Which is, you know, he's capable of, of venturing into the supernatural when he wants to and doing and getting weird. And he does it here in just that one scene. I think there's just that one scene that it kind of lifts almost into a supernatural novel. Um, but anyways, Roland goes back to Rome. And that, no, this is when he invites Mrs. Garland and Mrs. Hudson. Sorry, I, I'm kind of mixing up, I'm kind of mixing up the order of certain things because... It, it does kind of blur together. It's one of those novels. It's just too long, I think. All right. Chapter nine uh, is called uh, Mary Garland. So this mostly deals with the arrival of Mary Garland and Miss Hudson. So for this point on, Mary Garland's going to be a fairly major character in the novel. She goes from the backdrop to the foreground of the novel. So the last third or so, she's a major player. And it starts out optimistically. Mary and Mrs. Hudson are there. There's some cash uh they're enjoying Rome. They're learning a lot. They're 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 doing the expat sort of thing. It's not clear how long they're going to stay, but they're getting the most of it. And they're doing exactly what Roderick doesn't do, which is kind of squander away his time. Um, and Roderick kind of is on this like he's got these ups and downs because he hears like a rumor or like a suggestion that maybe Christina's not going to marry the prince. We as readers who peaked at the end of the novel know the Princess Cassiamina is coming, and that's probably going to be Christina. So you know that's not going to happen, but Roderick feels this, and then suddenly he is motivated again and and inspired to work again. Um, And he's a bit more impactful and engaging with his mother and and Ms. Hudson, or sorry, uh, Ms. Garland. So that's basically all that happens in the in the second third of of the novel, um, but everything's kind of laid out for the climax in the last section. It's it's we're going to see what comes of Roderick and Roland's relationship, what comes of the relationship between 
Roland and Mary. And finally with Christina. How she, Actually, Christina becomes more of the backdrop character in the final part of the novel. She's married, right? or she gets married, and she's, you know, she's got her own life that she's starting. Poor Roderick. But he's not, it's hard to be very sympathetic about Roderick because he's a talented guy who's squandering his talents. He's, he's kind of, you know, he's trying to be this romantic artist, which maybe works. This idea that you, you wait around and you're inspired by the location or the scenery or the sunset or whatever. I just don't think creativity works that way. I think creativity is basically hard work. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm not saying I'm not, I, I'm not doing that much um, besides this podcast. You know, I try to write once in a while, but, you know, it's, it's really hard to do. And you need to have the right setting and you need to have time. And just, you know, elbow grease to get these things done. So um, I think there's not much hope for Roderick, unfortunately. Maybe that's the problem. Like, Roland kind of sold him, like, come to Rome and you'll be kind of thrust into greatness. That's not how it works. So anyways, I guess that's all I want to say about this part of Roderick Hudson. and I'll finish up my thoughts about this novel in the next episode where I'll look at the final, I think it's the final four chapters of the book. Um, and then we'll move on to the American. Um, so uh, I guess if you read this book, let me know what you think of it. Let me know if you have any thoughts. Is there anything I missed or misinterpreted or is there any way you, know, you think you would go if you were to review this book? Overall, I think... You know, your life's not going to be over if you skip this book. It's, you know. But Henry James is is known for a reason, and he's important for a reason. And somewhere in these 16 volumes of Henry James's work, we're going to find out how. Um, maybe we don't quite see it yet. Right now, he's just, you know, wrote a couple of novels that I feel kind of blah about. This one's definitely just objectively better, I guess, than Watch and Ward. But anyways, I think if I persevere, do my work... Not get too distracted with girls. I will be fine. I'll I'll be able to say more about Henry James over the next couple of years as I read a bit more of his stuff. So, anyways, uh, that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time when I finish up my thoughts on Roderick Hudson. From our discordant life, it linked all the